Um, if, you're, if you're guests with us today, we have been the, um, the last few weeks in a sermon series entitled How to Find Peace During the Holidays. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, well, that should be easy, right? The holidays are the best time of the year, but for some people, they're, they're not. For some of us, the holidays are difficult to get through for a whole bunch of reasons. For me personally, I'm going to tell you right now, I love the holidays. When I was a kid in particular, I, the, the holiday season was magical for me. Um, I, I, would, I remember more times than not making my Christmas list. And I, it usually had anywhere between 10 and 100 things on it, by the way. Um, and on Christmas morning, it would, I'd get up and underneath the tree, I'd have all kinds of presents. It was awesome. But you know what I would do? I would get all these wonderful presents underneath the tree. Santa apparently had listened. But what I would have a tendency to do is to focus on the presents that I didn't get. Does anybody else do that? <laughs> Brian's over there going, no. You're just a brat, Craig. And you're right, Brian. I am a brat. Or I was a brat. I think I've grown up. I don't know that I'm... Well, maybe I... Lisa, am I still a brat? Just keep your mouth shut, girl. I actually do. I think I've, I've matured since then. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I still sometimes, for a variety of other reasons, feel disappointment during the holiday season. And I, again, in my maturity, when I step back and I look at my unrealized expectations for the holiday, I realize that a lot of times the reason why I'm disappointed is because I've made the holidays about me. Am I the only one that does that? Now, in some ways, there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of like um, worship on a Sunday morning. I hope you come to worship on a Sunday morning hoping and expecting to get something out of it for you. But here's the deal. If that's the attitude in which you come to worship, there's a real good chance that worship will not be what you expected it to be. And the same is true about Christmas. If we come into the holiday season, if we come into Christmas expecting or believing that it's all about us and having our needs and wants and desires and expectations met, there's a real good chance that this Christmas season will disappoint you. So this morning, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to help you understand your unrealized expectations. What I'm going to try to do today, I want to give you the, one of the best Christmas presents that you could get today. And you can open it today too if you would receive it from me. And basically it is the possibility. It is the opportunity to not make Christmas all about you. And the, the, the opportunity begins by introducing you to a friend of mine that I've known for a long time. Lucas, would you come up here? Um, Lucas, as he's coming up, um, it probably looks because of all the gray in his beard that he's much older than me, but he's not. <laughs> Go ahead and have a seat there. Lucas, uh, actually, um, the first time I met Lucas, was it, has it been maybe 25 or 30 years ago? Probably that long, yeah. First time I met him, I was a pastor at a camp called Summer Games. Anybody ever been to Summer Games before? Some of you have been. Um, I was a pastor there. And uh, Lucas 
was on staff at Summer Games. And um, what happened to him there was um, that he received a call to ministry. And almost, I know a lot of people that, go, that have went to Summer Games over the years that have received a, small, uh, a call to ministry. I was one of them, actually. And what I want to do today is I want to share with you, we want to share with you about his call to ministry or his family's call to ministry. And in just a little bit, you'll understand what that has to do with you. So we're going to begin this morning, Lucas, if you're willing, just to tell us before we get into your call, just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your beautiful wife and your, and your sons too. Could you do that for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as Craig said, I'm Lucas, and it's nice. It's great to be here, by the way. I've been Facebook stalking this church for quite a few months. It's just been fascinating. Way back in the barn, watching the, 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 the services and seeing it grow. It's just so cool to be here this morning and see this group. It's just exciting to see what God's doing. Amen. Um, but as I said, my name's Lucas. I am uh, 43 years old, so I'm not older. <laughs> and uh, I have um, with me today my wife, Teresa, and uh, we... Our high school sweet, sweethearts, and we have been married for... Why does she look so much younger than you? She looks a lot. In fact, yeah. a lot of people, I, many times, mm-hmm. I've had people ask if she's my daughter. I have the same problem. Do you? Um, so we've been, we've been uh, married since 1996, and uh, like I said, we're high school sweethearts. And she also has an experience with Summer Games. We're, yeah. we're, uh, our family's a product of Summer Games. And then we have my, uh, our three boys with us also. Uh, Nathaniel, Jackson, and Owen, and they are ages 17, although my, my oldest is going to turn 18 next week. Wow. So it's, oh my gosh, it's yeah. hard to get my mind around. Yeah. And uh, so 17, 15, and 13. Would you guys mind standing up just so everybody can get a good look at you? Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, guys. So yeah, that's my family. That's awesome. That's who we are. Now, so you've got just a little taste of who the Bear family are. Uh, I want you to know that um, I started out by telling you a little bit about their um, call to ministry coming through Summer Games, but what I didn't know until just a few weeks ago when Lucas and I got together was that their first call to ministry was when you, were, you and your wife were college pastors at a church in central Iowa, correct? Can you tell us yes. a little bit about that first calling of your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, uh, I don't want to get into all the weeds about that. Uh, a lot of detail, a lot of story, yeah. a lot of story. I, I, yeah. I got to filter through that. I, I have the gift of talking way too much, <laughs> so I got to filter. I'm constantly trying to filter. <laughs> um, we, uh, we, both my wife and I were heavily influenced by a college ministry at the University of Northern Iowa, and that was so, oh, I got a little, uh, look there, <laughs> and that was so impactful in our life, and we loved what was going on, and so we always had a thought in our mind that one day we would like to be involved in a college ministry, and God opened up the door for us to start a Bible study at the uh, Des Moines Area Community College, and the church that we were currently attending at the time really got excited about that and um, got behind it. It was neat to see God start to grow that ministry and, and seeing lives being changed as the college students were getting together, and when we uh, graduated, our, uh, finished our theological training, the church that we were attending invited us to come on as uh, on staff as college pastors. And so we served there from 1999 until 2007. And that was, we, to this day, we have such fond memories of that ministry because well, that was so That's exciting. part of, by the way, that when, when Lucas was telling me his story about he and Teresa being college pastors at a community college, I thought, this is a God thing because we have felt called here at Prairie Bible Church to begin a 
ministry with Kirkwood Community College. And there's a big difference between doing uh, like a four-year university college ministry and a two-year college uh, ministry because you only get two years, right? So one of these days, we're going to really pick their brains about how to go about doing that. But this is my question for you. I, you've, every time we've talked about it, I could see your eyes lighting up about your college ministry and how much you loved your church there in central Iowa. My question is, why in the world did you ever leave it if you loved it that much? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it, it, I made a mistake. Ah. Uh, I told the Lord that I would do whatever he ah. wanted me to do. <laughs> Be careful, buddy. Um, and can I give you the backdrop of that? I, I was sitting down in my office one day, and I just... I just had a gut feeling. I couldn't explain it. It came out of nowhere. Just this, this feeling in my gut that made me think that God wanted me to do something different. And, and I didn't so know you were still feeling fulfilled and enjoying oh, your ministry, driven, but you just had this sense in our that there was a yeah. new God was redirecting yeah. you. And I didn't know how to respond to that, how to, how to, uh, what to do. And, and I remember I got some counsel from my senior pastor, and he said, Lucas, you just need to, just need to pray and just... Tell the Lord that you'll do whatever he wants, and you'll follow him, and just, just follow the doors he opens. I was like, okay. And so I remember getting on my hands and knees and just crying out before the Lord and saying, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. Just open the doors, and I'll follow you. And then I remember saying to the Lord, I said, Lord, I know you hear me. I believe that. And so I do not want to be distracted from this great college ministry that we're involved with, because I was still really driven and in love with our college ministry. And I don't want to be distracted by some potential, maybe future endeavor and so I said, Lord, I'm just going to pray this one time. I, I know you hear me. I know you'll answer. And I'm going to forget about it. And so I prayed, and uh, I got up, and I went right back into college ministry, not thinking any more about that until about a week or so later, uh, I get a phone call from a missionary in Brazil that I had, that I had met the year prior. And he says, hey, Lucas, uh, to make a long story short, he says, I'd like to invite you and your family to come down and be a part of our church planning team in southern Brazil. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. That was not on the radar. No. Never. And it wasn't on, on your radar. wife's radar either, no. as I understand, right? In fact, in fact, my wife made the, the, in college, she made the declaration, Lord, I will do anything, but I will not be a missionary. <laughs> Teresa, you got to be careful about that, girl. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it was kind of funny because we, we visited my family in Arizona. And I said, I said, honey, I think one day we could retire here. And she says, Lucas, I'll never moved to Arizona. And I was like, <laughs> you know how that worked out last time? <laughs> you can't say those things. Yeah, um, yeah. But so, so uh, we got this invitation, and we were not thinking missions. I always thought church, starting new churches would be fascinating. I really liked that idea, but I never thought of doing that in some other country. It never even crossed my mind. So we started talking about it, and, and, and I was talking to my friend Shane about it, the, the mission that called, and I, I, I left that meeting thinking to myself, okay, Lord, um, I just prayed a week ago <laughs> for you to open doors, and I would do whatever you wanted me to do. Are you answering this prayer? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I wasn't sure because you, you don't just move <laughs> across the world. Especially You've got a wife and three little, how three, old were your kids at that time? Uh, six, four, and help me, baby. No, five, three, and one. Five. And so... Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, so that started a process. Maybe I should have her up here instead of you. Yeah, no kidding. If you don't get the details. So that started a process of, okay, Lord, is this what you want? Um, my wife said, obviously this is not what the Lord wants. <laughs> she was, like, totally against it. And, uh, 
And so I, um, I remember laying in bed with my wife and we're kind of talking about it. I said, honey, I think we need to take a trip to Brazil. Mm-hmm. I think we just need to go and see what it's like. And, and she's like, uh, she's thinking, no, no, no. Um, but uh, she said, well, honey, um, if, if the Lord wants us to do this trip to, to see what Brazil's like, then he will provide he will, buy the, he will provide the plane tickets, and we don't need to tell anybody or ask anybody for anything. If this is really the Lord's will, then he will miraculously provide. Because we had like $100 in our savings account. <laughs> and uh, now she's confessed later on that that was not as spiritual as it sounded because she really thought, there's no way the Lord is going to provide this. And so this is my way to sound spiritual and get out of this whole That's thing. Right. And a month later, in our account, we had like $2,300 that just wow. miraculously appeared without asking for it. And that's when my wife started to freak out. Um, and we went to Brazil and for a week or so just to, just to test it out. And it was the worst trip of our life. <laughs> it was terrible. My wife cried or slept asleep almost every night. Uh, it was cold. We, we, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary down there. It was the worst. In my mind, I'm like, this would be so romantic, so awesome. You know, having an anniversary in South America, it was horrible. We didn't, we, in fact, we didn't even celebrate it. With these plans, the toy collapsed. We didn't do anything for our anniversary. And the trip was terrible. We didn't like, we didn't like it. We just didn't like it. And so, so what in the world made you go to yes. Brazil then for so, your life's work? So uh, when we came back, but that was so significant because uh, we started this process of you know, trying to determine if this was the Lord's will. And that's what it all came down to because we decided, we said, look, we don't like anything about Brazil. <laughs> uh, but Lord, if this is your will, then we'll do it. And we start a year-long process, and we just ask God, okay, Lord, if you really want us to do this, then do this. And we like, threw all these fleeces out before the Lord like Gideon did in the Bible, and, um, which I don't recommend that, but that's what we did. And at the end of that year-long process, we could not deny any longer because God miraculously made it clear to us that this is his will for our life. We could not deny it. So my guess is once you made that decision and you moved your family down there, from that moment on, it was like paradise. Everything Par- was dream. perfect. Your, your marriage became strong. And... No. No. Um, in fact, uh, I say this without exaggeration. Our, our, our first year in Brazil, we didn't speak any, any Portuguese at all. And so here I am, 34 years old. My wife is 33. Not the ideal age to start learning a language. Mm. Uh, we get down there and... Our first year in Brazil, which was all intense language learning, was the worst year of our lives. The worst. Until. Now, I say this without exaggeration. Uh, at, at times, people up front can, you know, kind I've of never embellish. No. I, I, without embellishment. Uh, that first year in Brazil was the worst year of our lives until the second year. And then that year became the worst year of our lives. Wow. <laughs> until the third year. Which became... Which became the worst year. The worst year of your life, too. Topped only by the fourth. <laughs> and it was. It, they were the most difficult, most difficult years of our life where we struggled with anxiety, panic attacks, depression, um, uh, just loss. We were, we were just struggling physically, uh, uh, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. It was just all falling apart. It was, it was really, 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 really difficult. Mm. And uh, we had some really, really low points. And I remember. And the, in the middle of this, did you still sense that this is what God was calling you to do, even though it was a, a very difficult yeah, time? Yeah, we never, we never questioned that. Now, that was so. That's why it was so important that this whole process started. And God was just preparing us because we didn't move to Brazil because we liked the idea. 
but because we became resigned to the fact this was God's will. And that's what kept us in Brazil. Because there was a really low moment where I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. And my wife's like, I don't want to be here anymore. And then she's like, why are we here then? Well, why are we here? It's like, well, it's because because we believe this is God's will. Mm. And so we didn't come here because we liked it. Put a a pin in that for just a second because i got to preach. I need, you need to hear something about that. That's, that this, is, this is a hard lesson. You may not hear anything else today. I hope you do, but this is a hard lesson. Sometimes when you're in the middle of God's will for your life, we have this perception that being in the middle of God's will means that, that it's smooth sailing and that everything is, is easy going. And that is not biblical. Sometimes being in the middle of God's will there's 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 a a bunch of scripture and I'm not, we're not this is completely off the topic but there's Jesus was a suffering servant and sometimes as Christians we are called to suffer for the sake of the gospel that's not what today is about necessarily but understanding that when you are in the midst of God's will it is not always supposed to be easy it will however be purposeful and that's what I'd like you to talk about as you're in the midst of fulfilling what you know it's Three of the hardest years of your life, you've just confessed that. Tell us about what you were discovering as your purpose or your mission, your calling. I know that you have a very specific strategy or a calling to that mission field. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about what you've discovered and what you're yeah, called to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something, something I believe rules very strongly, and, and, and I, when I have the opportunity to share it, I do, is... Um, you know, back in 1988, I responded to the invitation from Jesus to believe in him as my Savior. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what that decision was going to, how it was going to change my life. But in that moment, I was like, I, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to believe in Jesus. And I responded at the age of 13 to that, to that invitation from Christ to believe in him. At the ser- very same moment, uh, unknowingly, I also accepted the invitation to join Jesus in his mission. Mm-hmm. And, and that is... Uh, I, an identifier of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's right. Um, That's to, what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And his mission, as he, as he says in Scripture, was like when he was in uh, uh, the house of Zacchaeus. He says, you know, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And he tells his, his followers, as I was sent, so I send you. And the, in the passage of Scripture that we read today, it says, go. And that's not a, that's a command. Go, therefore, uh, and make disciples of all nations. And that, at the heart of everything we've done, is, has been our call, is to, be, is to join Jesus in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. And that's what ultimately brought us to Brazil, was, you know, we have tremendous needs here. That's why you exist. That's why this church is here. There are t- tremendous needs in this area. There are people who do not know Jesus, who know about him, but do not know the forgiveness and, and um, the, the, uh, the satisfaction of being connected to the Father through Christ. And that's why you're here, to seek and to save the lost. And that needs to, to be done here, but it also needs to be done over there, wherever over there is. And what God has, what he did is he brought us to Brazil to be a part of that mission there, to seek and to save the lost. And so, and so what, what we are doing there on a local level is we are going into areas that do not have many churches or no churches to start new churches, that they can hear about uh, Jesus, that they can trust in Jesus, that they can have their lives, uh, not just the forgiveness of sins, but the transformation of our lives through the gospel. And we are doing that locally. For example, where we are right now is an area of 350,000 people on the southern side of the capital city. And in that area, which is larger than Des Moines, I know of one 
church uh, that has any type of influence that's, that's present So here there. we are in Iowa. We have a church on pretty much every corner, right? 350,000 people, and he knows of one church that is sharing the gospel yeah. with Jesus Christ. And, that's, that, that, and so as I walk down the street, just so you can get, I mean, they've done this, the studies in that area. As I walk down the street, um, of 10 people that I bump into, eight of them have no uh, idea of the gospel, that Jesus died for them, that, that, that they can have forgiveness through Christ. So I, I bump into 10, excuse me, that's not right, uh, 98.2, 98.8%, I did that wrong. Of, of 100 people, 98 of them, would not have any idea about that Jesus died for their sins. That blows my mind, and yeah. that's, that grips my heart. Um, and Although in our part of Brazil, there's that tremendous need. There's other places in the world that are even more needy than that, and so that's really the bigger picture. On the local level, we want to go into communities and start new churches that don't have them. On the bigger scale, we see Brazil not just as a landing pad, but as a launching pad, that we want to be involved with the raising up of Brazilian missionaries to go into other parts of the world and to start churches there because the Brazilian has greater access to the world than the Amer- than Americans do. Brazilians can, have, can get into countries that are very difficult. Just to give you one quick example, the, our host church, the church that we're partnered with in Brazil, has a tremendous ministry in Cuba, they go there, they've been there, they've been there many, many times. They've, they've helped support and train up uh, missionaries in Cuba uh, to start churches there. And they have a, a great uh, foothold there that, as an American, that, that's really difficult. And that's just one example. Um, so, I'm going to go ahead. Put a pin in right there for a second, too, because one of the things, I, if you heard what he was saying, is that they are called to be missionaries to Brazil, but really to the world. I mean, because that scripture, the Great Commission that, that we had, that Hannah read for us, talks about the fact that we are sent to the world. And sometimes the world is that neighborhood right over there. And sometimes it's Brazil. Sometimes it's Cuba. Sometimes it's Russia, Iraq, Iran. That is, but one of the things that, I, that Lucas and I have um, a kindred spirit on is this need... The, the, the thought of starting new churches. You know, we're here today as a new church. And when, when he said that was their calling, to go down there and to share the hope of the gospel with a community that has one church for 350,000 people, and then to, sh- go, to think bigger and broader beyond that, I thought, well, this is who we need to partner with as we live out the Great Commission. These are people that we need to be Jesus with as we share the gospel throughout the world. One of the things that, that um, I love about Prairie Bible is, you, you pro- most of you probably already know this, um, but we give away at a very minimum 10% of everything that is given to this church. We give it beyond our, our own walls to mission. 80% of it goes to local missions, goes to being the hands and the feet of Jesus locally, which is important but I've heard it said before from people amongst us that that is the most important and that's where we should be doing everything. I would challenge that thought. In fact, Lucas, or maybe it was Teresa, I can't remember, one of them said that if, if you don't have a heart for global missions, you will not have a heart for local missions. Because the two go hand in glove. 
Because if you are about sharing the love of Jesus, you need to be about sharing the love of Jesus with everybody. So we are basically what we've come to is that we, 80% of our, of our mission dollars go out beyond us locally, but we've also determined that we want to be global as well. And your board, your ministry board, has met with, these, uh, with this family, and we feel called by the Holy Spirit to be in mission and ministry with the Bear family. Um, in fact, um, you may have seen, if you were at the, uh, at the all-church meeting last week, we um, have given, or we are giving today, $1,000 to the Bear uh, ministry in Brazil and beyond. But this is what I'm asking all of you to consider. I think it is a wonderful thing that y'all have been willing and that your ministry board has agreed to support them um, with dollars. But this is what I'm wondering. Remember earlier when I, when I challenged you to receive an opportunity as the best Christmas gift ever? Remember when I said that we have the opportunity today to begin making the holidays not about us? Well, in some very tangible ways, um, the Bear family represents that opportunity. At this very moment, we have the opportunity to stop making it all about us and start making the Christmas story about Jesus and about the opportunity to share Jesus with the world, even in places as far away as Brazil. Now, there are some very practical ways that you can begin living that out. It's wonderful. Again, we're going to give them a check this morning. But I'm wondering whether some of you might be called to support them in your prayers. I'm praying that every day you're, you're having daily devotions. Would you, I'm asking you, as part of your daily devotions, to pray for Lucas and Teresa and the boys. Would you be willing to do that? Just put it on your prayer list. And every day, pray for them. I want to I challenge you with something else too. I know, I'm assuming you guys brought some, um, some pamphlet or information about how to get in contact with you. Well, I need you to hear me on this. As part of your ministry to them and with them, maybe God will inspire you to write a note to them periodically and say, we're praying for you, we love you. I'm telling you right now, though there's a lot of you that do that to me. There are days when I think, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm not making a difference. I can't. I don't have the, the courage or the stamina. And then on those days, somebody, I'll get a note from somebody, and they'll say, Craig, we love you. We're praying for you. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. I'm challenging you to do that for these guys. I'm challenging you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, as you're praying for them every day, someday the Holy Spirit's going to say, send them a, a, just a word of encouragement, an email or a note in the mail or, or write them a, a, a birthday card or something and just say, we love you and we're praying for you that we're in this together. And it'll change everything. It'll change them. But it just might change you too. You see my point? See, when you start making it not just about you. You end up getting blessed in ways you never dreamed or imagined. When you stop making 
the holidays about you, you'll end up having the best holiday season you've ever had. So, this is how we're going to practice what I'm suggesting to you this morning. Um, I'm going to invite Teresa and the boys and Lucas to come up here. One of the traditions that we have periodically here at, at um, Prairie Bible Church is um, when, when we are called to pray for somebody, we just stop what we're doing and we pray for them. So that's what I want you to do. We're going to bring this family up here, and if you are willing, I invite you to come forward and let's gather around them, lay hands on them, and pray over them um, as we uh, join them in their ministry. So come on up, everybody, if you're willing. Lord, what a privilege. I, uh, it was kind of weird for me this morning. I, I saw these guys come in, and I introduced them to my son. And, and to my grandchildren, and I uh, thought how beautiful it is that we are family. I thought how beautiful it is that no matter what the distance or the years in between, that we never stop being those things when we are together as the body of Christ, when we are the family of God together. I don't even know his boys, but I love them, and they're, they're part of my family. And I thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of theirs. And I thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of this awesome calling that you have laid upon them and, and now upon us. I pray, Lord, that, that you would remind us that, that oftentimes as we live into our calling, as we live into being the hands and the feet of Jesus, that, that it's not always easy, but it is always worth it. That there are times when we want to give up, give in, and and those are the times we need to give it to you. And we need to remember that we're not alone. That there are people that love us and are part of our family that are standing with us and praying for us and supporting us. From here in Judea and Samaria and all across the world, even as far as Brazil. I pray that you'd pour out the anointing upon this family, Lord Jesus. That they would feel your presence in everything that they do in those moments when, they, when it feels darkest and it feels loneliest, and they wonder whether or not it's what the sacrifices they've made are, are worth it, I want you to remind them, Lord, that, that it's all been worth it. I want you to remind them, Jesus, that, of the people, who, the world that has been impacted, the people that have been impacted because of the gospel that you have shared through them. I pray that you'll never let any one of us forget that what, this, what we, each one of us is called to, in our own way, is to share you to invite people into relationship with you, to accept you as Lord and Savior of their lives, and to become part of that family. So thank you, Lord, for the privilege. Thank you for the, the calling that we share together. And I thank you, Jesus, for this, this holy season that um, can oftentimes be filled with brokenness and disappointment. But when we fix our eyes upon you, no matter what the season holds, we know that Ultimately, what it's all about is you and the hope that you bring, even in the midst of that brokenness. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you for all that you have done. We thank you that you loved us enough to become one of us, that you um, lived out your calling by growing to become a man who would die on a cross and who would rise again on the third day, offering hope and salvation and family to whomever would receive it. We love you, my Jesus.